Welcome to Getting to the Truth in His Heart. I am your host, Rob Lee, and this is on MTR Podcast. My next guest is a writer, educator, youth advocate. Please welcome Albert Phillips Jr. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation and a blessing to be here with you today. Yes, likewise, it's, it's always an opportunity and always a great opportunity to speak with someone who we, we have some parallels in our backgrounds. Uh, you know, definitely we're going to talk about that a little bit. But um, if you will, uh, telephone folks who are uninitiated, undipped about your work. I mean, give us that that elevator pitch because you had an extensive situation. Now. I was like I'm reading for a while here, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, born and raised in, in Baltimore City, um, but I'm a writer, educator, youth advocate. Um, I've been working with young people for, I think, the last uh, eight, nine years or so. Um, since graduating undergrad, I've been working with young people professionally, um, being, you know, in the classroom as a teacher, as a paraeducator. Um, I even had an administrative position, but also in, in various nonprofits around the city, working in a workforce development capacity. So, you know, your interviews, your resumes, all of those different things. Um to help our young people to become job ready, quote unquote, I've been supportive with. And then uh, more recently, I published, self-published my first book uh, about a year ago called um, Y'all Hiring, A Black Teen's Guide to Navigating Employment, which uh, was just a thrill to create, to, yeah. to mold, to uh, just to go through all the emotions with um, in order to create something solid for our young people. Um, so that's just a little bit about who I am. And thank you for sharing. I do have another question about the, uh, the, the, the book, but we're going to go back into that. I'm going to stay on, I'm going to stay on course. I'm going to stay on schedule and in order <laughs> for once in my life. Um, and, and thank you for sharing that. Um, I think when, when people get into an environment where they're really describing what their story is, whether it be super broad, very concise, it's still a thing like really to share. Cause some people are like, I don't know what to share. I, you know, I just do things and being able to talk about something that obviously is um, important to you um, being from here and working with the youth here is, you know, you were youth here the same as I. So being able to kind of get back and work with them, that's a big thing. So I read about some of your career shifts and it feels like a lot of your professional work in education and the Baltimore school system, shout out, um, and, uh, and writing for various publications kind of help prepare you. How, how important for what you're doing now, how important is education in your creative process as a writer or as a person working with the youth? It's extremely important. I mean, it started probably really before I could really put a finger on it but if I had to think back like when it comes to writing I remember my uh one of my sixth grade teachers Miss Wilson um she allowed us to go on poetry.com when we were young and just like you know just give us some time to just create she just like put you on the computer and let you do your thing and um a few years back I actually because they keep your your poems um on their website and so, I mean, it, it was kind of hard to find. I had to like dig through the archives, but I was actually able to find a poem that I wrote when I was 12. Yeah. Uh, one of them was about my dog and, and the other one was about my neighborhood. And uh, at the time I was living over Sandtown and, and I had a very like, it was dark, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like the, the way that I described what was going on, but it was authentic. It was who I was and it's, and it's what I was experiencing. So I appreciate her for giving us that outlet. Continuing on through high school, I remember I had an um, English teacher at AP uh, English at, at Dunbar High School, 
And uh, one of my teachers was Mr. Kelly. And yes. Mr. Kelly let us, uh, but he didn't like put us on a computer like Ms. Wilson, but we, I remember just getting more into words and like the beauty of words and, and stringing, stringing together essays and doing critiques of my peers, just really falling in love with the writing process was a lot of fun for me. And then I was a journalism major at Morgan State, uh, specifically print journalism. So I wrote for our school newspaper, I interned for the radio station. Um, all those experiences, man, just like helped me, you know, you, you spoke of career shift. I may be even about to make another one <laughs> um, because I'm thinking about, you know, full-time uh, writing as well as, um, you know, I'm looking at an MFA program up at UB, uh, which might position me to become even a college professor. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't feel like I have a limit. I feel like whatever I'm passionate about, uh, fortunate, fortunately enough, I have the mindset, I have the bandwidth, I have the family, the ancestors, I have all these things supporting me. So yeah. I just got to steer the ship to where I wanted to go. That's legit. Uh yeah, I was Morgan alum as well. Well, I am hey. a Morgan alum. Uh, so shout out Go Bears and all of that good stuff. I went to City. So, I mean, you know, maybe oh, my dad went to City. I was like, maybe there's a little smoke there. You know, we're, we're noble, nobility, you know, <laughs> knights and all. Um, but yeah, definitely, you know, part of the um, the school system here. And I, I, you know, I think that it's, and I think it's important to have someone that's just doing well. And I think you, you keyed in on something that was very important in recognizing that you, despite, you know, what, what things may have been dark when you were recalling, like, you know, your, your poetry from when you were 12, it's like, yeah, I, I remember at city, I wrote this short story about something that happened in the projects that was really rough that a kid shouldn't see. I mean, this was, I saw this before 10, you shouldn't see it. And I just remember, um, one of the professors, one of the teachers getting back to me, it's like, Oh, this is a really good fiction. I was like, no, 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 that's reality. That happened. Like, She was just like, oh, wow, you, you saw that? It's like, yes, you know, this is some of the things. And it was kind of this, this notion of, well, but you, you're, you're, you're so smart. You're talented. You're interested in, you know, arts and writing, creative writing, and all of this. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't negate, you know, that either. These two things are, this is just me. It's baked in, you know? And I think the, the key thing that I heard that you say that's it, important is just like recognizing that you have the bandwidth, you have the resources from, you know, as broadly as family as the ancestors, the whole gamut. And I think that's a reminder, right? Where when, when people think, Oh, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just, you know, going to do this. You're a testament to that. Um, I, I remember doing a project at a high school and they were opening this new uh, recording studio and they reached out to me. We need someone who has a background and, and this to be the face of it because we are trying to cater this towards students to show that people that look like you can do this radio stuff, can be a person that's in charge of this really good program. And I think there's power in that. So, so tell me more about your experience writing um, your, your first book, Y'all Hiring, uh, The Black Teen's Guide to Navigating Employment. Um, and, I, and I like the fact that that's a thing that's said. Y'all hiring? You know, that's a legit, that's right. a legit thing. No, nah, fact. So, that, I mean, I think what really made the title stick for me, because at first it was just going to be called The Black Teen's Guide to Navigating Employment. Um, but I was, I remember I was over at Mondom and Mall one day. And um, I was grabbing some cookies from a great cookie. As you this should. This was probably like, uh, right, they own, you already know what kind I got. Yeah, the Snickerdoodles, um, right? <laughs> you already know. <laughs> so 
I was there and I remember one of the uh a student from Douglas, which is right across the street, walked in. Yeah. And was like, Yo, y'all hiring? And um I don't even remember what the response was from the staff there, but it just kind of sunk into my mind, like, yeah, like this is this is the title right here, is y'all hiring. Yeah. Like, it's it's for the culture, like it's for our people. People won't know exactly what it means when I when I make that the title. So that was the um that was the thought behind that. But the real process of putting a book together, I found kind of on the back end that I broke all the traditional rules uh, of putting out a book. <laughs> what I mean by that is like, typically people have like these simplistic sort of, I mean, I also feel like right now we had a time where like you, you can break all the rules. It's fine. Yeah. Um, as long as you have a plan, it's important, but like you don't have to follow what everybody else is doing. Um, but usually when people put out books, what I'm seeing, especially when people have like, like are, are, um, are part of a major publisher or even a smaller one, they'll do like a hardcover and the audio book and then they'll come back with the paper book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ebook is also part of that as well. And they'll have like a bunch of places booked to, you know, do like a book tour, whether it's in person or virtual. Um, and then they'll also have, you know, it available in a bunch of stores and online and all these different things. And they typically have different people working on different parts. Like, so when you're working with a publishing company, you have a machine behind you, sort of like an artist working with a record label. Yeah. Um, which are pros and cons to that. I think, you know, if, if in me and my capacity, I was fine being self-published and, and not, um, going through a traditional publisher, but you know, if I'm Jay-Z, like I'm probably gonna go to a company or even start my own, um, to be able to put my book out. But the process was sort of like that writing process, the same process that I've taught the students for years. We started off brainstorming. I literally was thinking of ideas. I knew I wanted to be an author and I wanted to put out a book. Um, y'all hiring actually wasn't the first book I wanted to put out, but I felt like it would be the one that's easier for people to resonate with. Mm-hmm. And it's something that was connected to the current work that I was doing and that I still continue to do right now. And so I was like, this is going to be the one that I put out. And so I had to hire after I like brainstormed and came up with chapters and thought about content. I hired an editor to help um, edit the book and um, really provide an editorial assessment uh, which is really like foundational when you're creating a book of like, you know, before you dive all the way in and you, you know, ready to put it out, you need to have someone look deeply into your work to make sure that it makes sense, that it's organized, um, that it's going to resonate with your audience. They, they, they push you in different ways. You can push back as well. If you feel like, nah, I'm really going to keep this. Um, so I went through that process. I hired someone to do my website I hired someone to do the interior design for the book. Um, on the outside of the book, uh, I hired a graphic designer to do that. Um, so there's it a lot of different people involved in this process, um, but I think it all resulted in a, in a great piece of work. It's great to hear and great to get a peek inside what that process looks like because you talk to people who've written books, or it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I just started putting things together and then it came out. It's like, no, 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 a little bit more to that. I always thought about impact. Yeah. Like I didn't want to just create something just about, oh, I wrote a book. 
Um, but anything that I put out at this point in my life is going to have a, a deeper impact, a deeper, deeper meaning. Um, it's going to tell a story. So that all that was going through my mind. So, and, and also I, the, the, the school that you reminded me, cause I always forget it. Um, so the school I did that project with was actually Douglas. So, <laughs> so okay. it was just like, yeah, come over to West Baltimore. And I think it was just kind of this, this, this reclamation after the, the, the weirdness and the, the unrest and all, cause that became like one of the centers of it. And it's like, look, we're going to invest here and we're going to, you know, give, give these kids something to do. Um, and this creative space, we want to invest in that area. So, yeah. Um, so I think most of the commentary about Baltimore youth only scratches the surface, right? There's really minimal, minimal discourse, much like when it comes to discussing Baltimore by and large. And, so, and I feel like most of what's being said is just negative, hard stop. It's nothing like, oh, well, this is maybe the reason and so on. And you went through, you know, the school system here, just like me, you went to Morgan, just like me. And I would get the whole, but you're one of the good ones, you know, in, in comparison to my peers or so on. And like, almost like I'm an exception to what's expected here. Is that something that you would hear a lot? Um, and when you were younger and kind of give me that truth about Baltimore, because I think it's really interesting to speak to someone who's deeply embedded in Baltimore for for the people who are listening, because I think it's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, I think a lot of that uh, rings true. Unfortunately, I think. Um, people see see you, you know, if you have a college degree, especially from Baltimore, if you have a college degree, if you're not like locked up, if you, you know, alive <laughs> to some degree, then you, you know, you have made it, quote unquote. But I don't I don't subscribe to that. I'm a connection of, you know, the people that are here, especially people that look like me. So, you know, if if it would um if we all ain't free, you know, ain't none of us free, right. you know, that's, that's kind of like the mindset that I have. And I think Martin Luther King said, uh, um, um, an injustice in one place, uh, I'm getting, I'm chopping this quote already up. My bad, Dr. King, but uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Uh, something like that. <laughs> and excuse the fire truck going on the street or something that you might be. Are we keeping it real though? <laughs> For sure. But, um, yeah, so I don't see myself as like, you know, the talent and tiff that WB Du Bois talked yeah. about. Like, I see myself as, a, as an extension of my people, and I'm still trying to figure out a lot of what's going on and, and to make an impact, to make a difference in my community. That's that's just how I've been groomed. Yeah. Um, I never was groomed to be an individual to feel like, you know, I, I made it. Everybody else need to catch up or anything like that. So, but speaking of... Um, Morgan State. I remember being there, and uh, I was I was seeing one of my advisors at the time, and you know my my grades was, was on point. You know what I mean? I had a, um, I think I had at least I graduated with a three nine, but I think at that time I might have had like a three eight something yeah. like that on point. But I went into this his office, and he was like, "Oh, he saw my tattoo. You know, I got tattoos on my arms." Yeah. And he was like, oh, I guess these tattoos don't mean nothing, man. You got pretty good grades. And he thought that was like a compliment. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> I said, nah, bro. Like, they actually mean a lot to me. Like, they're significant. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why he would think. Well, I, I know why he would think. But it's unfortunate that, you know, people see you and they immediately create this stereotype 
um, of, of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and, and what certain things mean about you without really knowing you, you know, and I think that creates a disconnect. So, um, you know, growing up in the city is, you know, it was rough. It still is rough at sometimes. I still live in the city. Um, but it's, it's beautiful to know that I have a village of people kind of like I said earlier, who, who support me, who I support them. Um, you know, Baltimore is one of those places where like, you know, people want to know who you connected to, you know, what side of the city you from. Yeah. Um, you already know people ask like, oh, what high school you went to? You yeah, know? We already kind of did that, um, by the way. <laughs> uh, right, just organically, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But that's that's something that's unique, especially to here because I've been to other cities and they don't have those type of conversations, you know, it, or at least it's not as important as it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very, we, we're communal people, you know what I mean? Um, if we rock with you, we rock with you. If we don't, we don't. Yeah. And that's just how it is. So, um, a lot of challenges, a lot of turmoil, um, you know, a lot of beef that I think we got to really get through and solve. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm a part of that. I'm a part of, um, trying to be a part of the solution. Yeah. And, and that, like, I kind of have grown into echoing that sense, that sentiment where, you know, kind of recognizing I was doing a lot of stuff that was just and in, in just doing this creative pursuit, right, of just doing my own thing, not really being within the community, kind of like not shying away from being in the community, but not being very deliberate about saying I'm in the community. Right. So in doing this and in, in, in what it takes to do it, it's literally a love letter to Baltimore and connecting different communities here having that crossover that 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 wiring that you know we're we're all from the same place we're all kind of trying to pursue the same thing we know most of the same people baltimore is not that big and it's it's one of those kind of reminders and you know i i think one of the things that i learned from it is how despite it not being that big how isolated we are sometimes like i'm over east that's it you know i don't i don't leave you know and I mean, it's, 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 it's very much isolated. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's isolated by zip codes, yes. you know, by, by blocks, even sometimes. Um, I think uh, D. Watkins put out a piece years ago called Two Baltimores mm-hmm. uh, because it, it's just vastly separated. You go to Roland Park, you go to Canton, it's much different from down the hill or Sandtown yeah. or Penn North. You know, these communities are, are flourishing. Um, so much so I, I read a report a few years ago that like the life expectancy of certain people changes depending on what zip code you live That's in. That's legit. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So you have people who live in one zip code who are living on average 10 to 15 years less than people who live in another part of the city. Right. Yeah. And so we know that there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, and I mean, the thing that really gets me, especially when, when, when people kind of come in and they will move in, like I, I think of Hopkins almost immediately in that, that area. It's just like, yeah, Yo, you can walk two blocks and you're like, oh, it's sketchy here. It's like, yeah, but you literally just came from over there or even where I'm at. I'm in like, you know, East Baltimore in the, the 21213 area. I can go up the street and I'm in 05 and it's just like, oh, we, we have uh, hospitals and education over here. It's like, oh. Yeah. Like what? What is it? It's the same. Yeah. It's literally the same area, and it's like these these imaginary lines. So, speak on um, returning to the school system. Like, speak on what that experience was like, and kind of what did you like learn from returning, like to to being someone that was a student within the school system and coming back and being on the other side of that exchange 
as an educator? Uh, I think the number one thing I learned was that black men are are needed uh, severely in, in our school systems, um, not just in Baltimore, but throughout the country. Um, you know, students deserve our experience. They deserve our, our intellect, our, um, our style of teaching. Um, all of that is needed within the educational system um, because it's largely run by white women um, who, you know, some great teachers in the school system. Yeah. But our presence is needed, you know, first and foremost. And I realized that my my first year of teaching, for the most part, because it, it's so funny. I tell people all the time, like when I first started teaching, I think it took a while for my students to realize, like, yo, I'm a real teacher. Like, I'm not a substitute. I'm not the person you get sent to, like, when you do something bad. Like, <laughs> I'm really your teacher because they had never had like a black man as a teacher before. And so it was hard for them to kind of grapple with that. Um, if you layer that with, you know, they pops might not be at home or they might not have, you know, a, a strong black, you know, role model in their life. It, 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 I kind of put like more of a burden on me, you know, I felt like it was heavy and, um, you know, it, it, it pushed me and challenged me in a way to, to show up to the best of my ability, you know, which was not always easy. You know, our, our students deal with all types of trauma. Um, you know, uh, learning difficulties, just general disinterest. Um, you know, they, I had one student, he was drinking a, a, a monster energy drink at like seven in the morning. I'm like, bro, like, what? you just woke up. Like, why are you drinking a, uh, you know, like, yo, <laughs> why are you always drinking an energy drink? Like you went to sleep and you just woke up. So it just like, you, but you got to deal with all yeah. of that, you know, you got to find ways to, to um, resonate with students. So our presence is important. I also realize how much like, like we get pushed out. Um, and, I, and sometimes it's like, you know, physically in a way where we feel like we get pushed out of the school, but our voices and our perspectives um, get pushed out as, as like not being valid and, and not being um, essential to the educational environment. And, you know, that's something that I felt to some degree, along with my peers, um, in some more severe cases, um, literally like resigning because they felt like, yo, y'all don't even respect me here. Like, y'all don't even, I'm telling y'all what I think we should do, but you don't even care about my opinion. Um, so there are a bunch of initiatives now to try to get more black men into education. So, it's, it's a lot. I mean, I'm still learning a lot. I, I work full time for city schools, not in a classroom, but in a district office um, down at North Avenue. And, um, you know, we, you know, some great work happening there, um, you know, but I don't necessarily agree with, you know, every decision that everybody makes in every office. Um, but that's not, um, you know, that's, that's, that's just something that I think is a case probably wherever people work. No, no, <laughs> you know, you, yeah be doing some great work and then you know other things come and you don't necessarily agree with it i like i work in like higher ed right and i kind of would hear that thing yeah we need we need you brothers here and it's like always this this weird it's a necessity but i think it's more so speaking on the lack of of that that uh visibility or that lack of black black men there in that environment and I just remember, you know, this is not necessarily connected with like like grade school and such or the, the, the school system, but it is a school in Baltimore. 
And I just remember uh, being in an environment where it was just the four black guys in the office. We were all the data folk, but we were all in the same area. It's like they, they pinned us around. They didn't want us to kind of spread out and be within the office. It's like going back to that notion of we're, we're broken off. And these would be conversations we would have of like, yeah, you see this, right? I see this happening, right? But at the same time, it's like the talents were needed, but not the, the bodies, as it were. So kind of maybe shifting gears, but using that as a means to shift gears more concretely, because you, I think you think you've touched on it. You've poked at it on numerous times in this conversation. How does your work really comment on the current social or political issues, like specifically in Baltimore or even more broader? Yeah. So in a lot of ways, one, um, youth unemployment is, is huge. Um, it's huge from a few different vantage points, like especially when you think about COVID, um, a lot of young people who work, especially like teenagers, they work during summer months, mm -hmm. um, you know, where they're out of school, where they work like in the, in the spring, um, but mostly during the summer months. And so employers not being able to hire um, and closing down, you know, during a pandemic, like drastically impacted their, uh, you know, ability to build their professional capacity by having a job, right? Having a, a stable income to learn skills to network. Um, and in some ways even impacted their families, right? Their families were depending on that student making that money and bringing it home. And so it, it literally took money out of the household. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my book speaks to not just helping black teens get a job, but how do you how do you thrive? How do you take best advantage of, of your position at a job? Because, you know, we know that our jobs will take full advantage of us and will burn us out and then leave you out to dry. Yeah. <laughs> but how do we, you know, how do we take advantage of scholarships that our jobs might provide or opportunities to advance? How do we network? How do we deal with stress? Um, the book, I think, is also very unique because, you know, we, we, we live in a time where racism, white supremacy continues to thrive throughout this country and throughout the world. And so the book even touches on how do you deal with workplace discrimination? How do you deal with hiring discrimination, uh, which are critical? Um, and I was even reading a, a report from like 30 or 40 years ago. This, and I think it was in either New Jersey I can't remember the state. Uh, I have the book somewhere around here, but it was talking about how um, discrimination in the workplace was a huge reason. And it continues to be a huge reason why, you know, people resign or are fired from different places of employment. So I wanted to really create a resource that allowed our young people to be advocates for themselves. Um, a lot of, a lot of material and content around workforce development is like, yo, just put your suit and tie on, learn how to interview, get your resume. That's it. Right. And I felt like our, our young people needed a lot more. And so I try to provide um, more of that. And I, and I did it in a way that actually told some of my employment journey. So while reading it, you're not just like learning about these tips and tricks and ideas, but you're learning about my experiences, things that I did absolutely wrong, <laughs> lessons I've learned, um, you know, communities I've lived in, connections I've made, so um, it's very revealing in that way. But, you know, I think the book is, is, is definitely a tool 
you know, and a, a resource for young people. It's not like the end all be all. Like when you read Albert's book, you'll never have to worry about anything because you got it all figured out. But I think, you know, just being able to jump in where you feel like is the best and most appropriate part of it can definitely lead our young people to some, um, you know, some greater support. It's, it's a resource. I, I like how <laughs> you touched on that. Oh, you know, it's, it's more than just get yourself ready. You know, take these uh, get, do, work on your look in the mirror, put on a tie. This is how you tie. It's like, what's the real thing? What's the real thing? That Man, you know, I was just reading I, and I put this in a book as well. Harvard released a study and they talked about people of Asian descent, mm-hmm. African descent, even African-Americans as well. And um, how people whiten they quote unquote whiten their name on their resume in order to increase their likelihood of getting an interview or callback. Yeah. And so you'll have someone, you know, Olufema, right? Some some African name that has a lot of reverence, a lot of power, yeah. more meaning than like an Albert. Um, but they would change their name to James in order to get an interview yeah. for a job. And I think that that's disheartening, right? Like that 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 shows you know, where our world is, where you can't, even, people can't even show up as who they truly are. Um, and I've even met people. I remember I, I love African food. Mm-hmm. So I go to like Nigerian spots and Ethiopian spots, different places around the city. And I remember one place in particular, um, I, I frequent there pretty often. So they knew my face. So I'm like, let me just introduce myself. Cause I'm, I'm like, I see you all the time. And I can't remember what she told me her name was. It probably was like, Samantha or Sally. I'm like, you was from Ethiopia. That is not, <laughs> not your name. name. Absolutely not. <laughs> it's not. It ain't no Sally's walking around Ethiopia. So you need more syllables. She here. just felt like that was the more appropriate name to share. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in the book, it's like, oh, how do you, you know, how do you deal with stuff like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Um, last question I have before I get into rapid fire questions and rapid fire questions, always fun. So I read that a lot of your work is, is geared towards helping the youth. So think back when, and, and obviously from what you were saying, it's, you know, in that space as well, especially your book. Um, think back to your childhood. What, what did you hope to be as an adult? Like, are you in that space now or is it like, look, I was trying to be an astronaut and a football player. Like, what, what, what does that look like for you? I think every, you know, every black kid from my hood probably wanted to be a um, football player. In fact, one of my, you know how you do those school photos, like Life Touch? Mm-hmm. I had a football in one of them, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I think. Okay. I'm telling I tell kids, like, you can do that. It's a it's a small likelihood that you're going to make it there, but if that's what you want to dream of, I'm not going to shoot you down. But I, I definitely want you to consider something else for sure, right. even above that, in my opinion. But um, I wanted to be a pediatrician, oh. and I remember in third and fourth grade, uh, I think my teacher Miss Milam at, at William Pendehues, she uh she I don't know maybe she didn't have nothing for us to do that day she asked us to draw like what we wanted to be mm-hmm. and I remember trying to draw a pediatrician uh, I don't know why it was so like fascinating to me uh, but that's what I wanted to be probably I don't know up until like maybe middle school mm-hmm. and then it shifted um, 
to just like something writing related, uh, which I think uh, I resonated well, I resonate more with now. And I think even looking back to, you know, when you were saying earlier about your um, about some of the early poetry, like you were 12, that's, that's those middle school years. That's like, yeah, I'm more into this. You'd be that, that one poetic like pediatrician. It's like, look, man, I just need I just need to know what this kid needs. <laughs> um, so that's pretty much and thank you for sharing all of this. Um, that's pretty much all I had in terms of uh, questions before we get to some rapid fire questions. So let me let me regale you what rapid fire questions are for, for this podcast. What's shaking my constituency? Rob Lee here. And I want to tell you about something sweet. No, no, not just my sweet voice. And you'll get back to the podcast in a moment. But I want to tell you about one of my presenting sponsors for this month, Waffy Waffle. Do you like dessert? I hope you do. Do you like over the top dessert waffles? Well, Waffy is right up your alley. Waffy has yeast based waffles made with love and topped with everything from syrup to sprinkles, you know, the regular stuff, to ice cream and even cheesecake toppings. Treat yourself to something sweet today. Visit Waffy at www.waffywaffle.com and on Instagram at Waffy Waffle. And don't forget to tell them that Rob Lee sent you. Um, I'll ask you a question and the answer is what the answer is. You don't have to provide any additional context unless you want to. So it's essentially like, yo, it is what it is. I said what I said. So if I ask you like, what's your favorite movie? It's just like, that's my favorite movie. I don't need to explain it. All right. Uh, so what's something that every black teen should know that's not in the textbook? Uh, you are exactly what your ancestors prayed and sacrificed for. I'm asking the right person this right question. I see. I was looking for an answer <laughs> like that. Um, favorite book? Uh, Things Fall Apart by uh, Chinu Achebe. Uh, favorite subject? Uh, you can frame this either maybe something that you were kind of teaching or maybe what you were uh, learning. What, what is your favorite subject? Definitely like English or social studies, maybe both. Hidden talent. I used to rap back in the day, so I probably still got some bars up in me somewhere. I was waiting for that. <laughs> See, we, we have a parallel thing going on here. Uh, <laughs> last one, um, and, and I think you touched on it, but maybe, maybe you didn't. What was your first job? So my first job, and I, I talk about this in a book, my first job where I actually get a paycheck was uh, UFWorks. Uh, I work as a camp counselor at Holland Park recreation center but everything is gearing you towards that that spot where you're you're doing your work you're you're helping out the folks you're your you're counselor you're just everything everything you're doing you're it's just pointing in the right direction the universe has directed you in that right space so i'm just happy to hear more about you and the the work that you're doing and just it's a privilege to talk to you um so what i like to do at this point is i'm out of questions because i'm a slacker but uh, I want to leave the floor up to you to plug, plug, plug away. Where can they find you on social media? Where can they get the book? Things of that nature. Yeah, for sure. Uh, find me on Instagram at the ambitious black guy at the ambitious black guy on IG. Um, go to my website, albertphillipsjr.com to learn more about me as a person. Um, and if you're interested in the book, you're hiring a black teens guide to navigating employment. I made it real simple for you. You can go to yallhiring.com. So there you have it, folks. I want to thank you again for being on the podcast. Uh, and I'm going to wrap up. So for Albert 
Phillips Jr. I am Rob Lee saying that there is just youth advocacy. Just people doing good work in and around Baltimore. Yeah, look for them.